1: and 365-day returns.
2: Hello, and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can, the best way possible, while dodging some bullets doing so.
3: Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me.
0: Don't feel like you're on your own, because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough?
3: And that doesn't make me special.
2: What is making me special is my deeper story.
0: People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job.
2: Wake up at 5 in the morning and
3: like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that?
0: You're sitting at your desk crying, and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything.
2: Was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title. You get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale.
0: You can use this. This is how you get that. It is not a secret anymore.
2: My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Tomi Barav, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Full disclosure. <laughs> we are colleagues. <laughs> yes. We brought you onto the show to speak about your own personal story that starts before your military service and had a few uh, infliction points that are super interesting to understanding the story of entrepreneurship in Israel and also your own personal journey and, and what you plan to give to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll cover that. But before we do any of that, let's kick it off with the basics. Who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it?
3: Yeah, okay. So, my biggest passion in life is building time machines. Now, I need to tell you what exactly are time machines. Well, time machines are, you can say, software, technology, digital tools that allow you to increase or to enhance time. So, you can think about Uber as a time machine because, you know, with Uber, you can reduce the time that you wait for a cab. So, I like building time machines for people to enhance their time, manage their time better, just to create more time to the things
2: that really matter. I heard of you way before I got to know you. Yeah. Is that something that happens to you a lot, that people hear about the work you do before they get to meet you?
3: Well, I'm a maker, so you can say that I love writing stuff. I love to create accessibility to people that don't have accessibility, to software, to digital tools, to technology. So basically I was lucky enough to create the biggest digital productivity community in the world called Supertools and from there it kind of opened a whole new world for me to you know to create my own stuff to write about tools that I'm using about workflows that I that I love
2: you said lucky enough to have the world's biggest community, but I would say that luck had very little to do with it. I mean, this Ooh. community grew from absolutely nothing, from your own personal interest, and the experimentation into 25,000 people who are super engaged. I've seen the numbers. I know how engaged they are. Yeah. The community has a life of its own. It created a, a niche in the, in the community landscape. In many ways, it was pioneering how communities have been built since. But what kickstarted your obsession with time? Where is this coming from?
3: I think it was when I was 14. I had no friends at school, like during this time. I'm not sure why, because I got my first computer from my brother. I was pretty much lonely at school, so I waited to come home, come back home and be on my computer and kind of create stuff. So because I, I had a lot of bullies at school and people and, and and no friends i wanted to look smarter wasn't so good in sports and you know this kind of uh, uh macho stuff at school so i wanted to kind of to gain knowledge fast so basically i started the project when i was 14 it was before google before chrome before you know all this software that we know today i wanted to create the fastest browsing experience and for me As now I know like how to frame it. But before that, for me, it was like this metrics experience that when you you gain a lot of knowledge fast, really fast, you know, like in the movie, when you you can like learn Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. (laughs) Yeah, basically. For me, this is what I wanted to to achieve. So I started this project, maybe 12 months, like a year. What I wanted to do, I wanted to, to search simultaneously in four different pages. It was Alta Vista and other kind of, Netscape. Uh, yeah, other, other kind of search engines before the Google that, you know, and it was really, really fast. So it, it kind of allows me to gain knowledge, search fast and kind of uh, decrease the the latency between our search and our brain in a way. So what Google uh, does today, if we have zero latency and we can gain all the knowledge that we can, we can connect between a lot of information and create second brain. This is like a a very powerful notion, and it's like a superpower. The first time that I really, really, kind of thought that this is my passion in life was when, after my first, my first startup, I decided that I want to help entrepreneurs win and kind of be a part of their journey and help them, help them achieve their, you know, biggest goals. And what I learned from that, from the, from this experience, that a lot of founders. First time founders, early stage entrepreneurs, early stage startups, they have their time is so limited. And it's not only limited, they also like velocity and speed is probably the only advantage that they have if you compare it to big corporations, big enterprises as as well. So, created a workshop around it. I can tell you more about math challenge and and my journey there, but I created a workshop that the name was how to leverage digital tools to be faster, to be superhuman. So I wanted to create, like, think about this idea of if we can make the CEO of the company superhuman in what he does, maybe more faster with technology, maybe it it can create more impact, maybe it can create more time to the things that he do best, so this is this is kind of something that can be very powerful, especially in early stage companies, when a lot of things are all the power is in the hands of the the founders and the CEO and the the the, the, the other uh, the CTO and and so on. So yeah, so this was the idea of of kind of the first the first thing that I thought. Oh wow. So we can really, really create this access to a lot of tools, to so a lot of technology that maybe we can talk later on that can uh, really transform people's lives and you know, make them focus on what they really, really love to do and what they're in, in their zone of genius in a way.
2: So 15, 16-year-old Tommy, like any other kid in Israel, you are looking at your military service. It's alarmingly close. It's a few months from where you are then but it also very far away cuz it's a different life completely. Tell me a bit about that moment just before.
3: So when I was 16 I created a website called mygadget.co.il which is an Israeli domain. Okay? My second passion after technology and computers was gadgets. Basically I love to review gadgets and you know from internet fridge to to computers to smartphones and you're like a
2: head start, kickstart junkie. You yeah. want to know, whatever thing that comes in, you are amongst the early, early adopters. Exactly. And it was 2002,
3: basically, two years after the millennium. And I started to review stuff. like, I, 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 And I built this website. And after seven months, I got a message on the MRSC. You know, like the MRIC.
2: Yeah, it
3: was before ICQ. It was like the, one of the
2: first two sides, two ways. Open source communication protocols where you can
3: chat with people. Exactly. And I got this message from, from a guy called Genesis. Which basically, I don't know anything about him. It was before Facebook, so you cannot really know the profile, so you don't know anything. And Isn't this, kind this of...
2: is how uh, Neo got recruited into the Matrix? <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I got this message from this guy and he said, I love your website. I, I'm a fan. Can I buy the website from you? And on you know, my eyes, were ching, and I like, oh my god, this was my biggest dream. And I and I read a book during this time called Rich Dad Rich. yeah,
2: Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad.
3: Yeah, Kawasaki. And it said about negotiation, never, never state, never address the price. Like let the other the other party say the price first. And so I, I told him like, what 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 is the price? How, how much do you want to buy it? It said something ridiculous, like 5,000 shekels, which is like $1,200 or something or euros or whatever. And it was like really, really ridiculous. But I like, oh my God, I'm going to retire. This like, I'm going to move to another country. It, for me, it was like, no, I've never seen this number. Of course, I said yes. And then after like two Two weeks. I'm going after school. so I'm, I'm, I'm going up like the stairs to my to my parents' house, of course, to my to my uh, to my home. And basically, I can see my my mom and, and occasionally, like my 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 dad, surprisingly, was there because he used to work. They're both really really mad, and I see like an envelope on on the on the the table, and my mom kind of said to me, "Hey, Tom, do you want to explain?" what the hell is this envelope? And I said, mom, do you know the internet, this stuff that I'm doing? I'm, I'm really busy with building stuff on the internet and meeting new people. So I got a message from from a person and he, he really liked what I do and he suggested to buy. And from this on, I see my mom like crying and, and it was like a very emotional and very, it's like a board meeting when they said, you cannot do it. You cannot give people your information on the internet. It's a very dangerous place. and I'm talking about like 2002, and basically my dad called this guy in Pedaktikva. and it was like a 42 years old guy, and he told him, "Don't mess with my boy again. I'm going to I give you the check back, and that this is the last time that you contact my boy, and my son." And it was you know they just like destroyed my first merger and acquisition deal. And I was really, really pissed off. And they, they promised to give me like, uh, uh, to slide the to compensate the you yeah, for yeah. the... Uh... In, in my case, how do you say it in English? Pocket money. <laughs> yeah, the, <my> pocket money. <laughs> you know, it was my, like my first, I told myself in my head, okay, my parents, they don't know what I do. No, they don't understand it. Like I'm I'm creating beautiful stuff and they don't have a clue on what I do. And they think that my their son is like, I don't know if you can say jerking off or something in, in his room. And they don't know. They don't know. And and I was really, really pissed off. And I not more than losing the money, like the fact that your parents are not proud of you and add add to the fact that I'm not the most popular kid at school. So it was a really, really hard moment for
2: me. Wow. So even when you were on the verge of your first commercial success,
3: yeah. And and
2: someone in the internet understood they saw the potential, it was in a way taken away. No one.
3: No one saw the potential and just after they got feedback from other people that know what it takes to build stuff that I'm like a little, little boy. I don't have any clue. I'm just building stuff and I, I'm not sure if it's complicated or if not, because no one teaches you how to do it. And, um, basically just in my army experience, the, f- the first thing that I want to do is to make my parents proud, especially my dad, because my dad was like a military man. Macho man, like someone is like, his leadership is so, so, you know, inspiring to see this person in action. It was like 12 years in the army. It was like a combat soldier from the most prestigious units in the army. And I said, I cannot do a computer. I cannot do stuff that my parents don't know. I need to make them proud. Wow. So, but no one, of course, lets me during this time kind of do stuff that is not computer science but just to close this this cycle like this to create this closure to this journey so when i was in in like an officer training so i wanted to become an officer because you no know, of course i wanted to make my my parents proud i tried to explain what i what i do in the army but, but because it was like confidential. confidential secret no one really understood what i do but i remember this moment when i worked really hard in this officer training just like training to become an officer i remember that when like this, the closing ceremony when they give you the they give you the the pin and everything they give you the um, the certification that you become an officer i remember that I, they gave me i call it like the best officer it's like a, it's like a certification for my, for excellent so it was one out of 300 officers that got this certification and Thomas if i'm not going to tell my parents i want them i want to see their reaction Going back to this really really unique moment, so I'm standing there, sort of like the head of of my unit, and also the head of the intelligence unit that I
2: was. So the head of, of the of. biggest uh, unit in the army, and and then the head of the corps. Mm-hmm. So the person who is in charge of the intelligence corps who has the largest unit. So basically, yeah, this guy reports to the the chief of uh, of the army.
3: I remember this moment. So they are starting to call names of all the soldiers that just finished this trainer and i was the first one and they they're saying okay so we want to call the 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 first soldier the the one who won the certification of excellence blah, blah, blah. and i see my parents and my grandmother and, and grandfather all crying like the tears in my my dad which is like such a matcha from like you know such a so so i see everyone they finally understand what i do they finally like i finally got this proud moment when when you know they understand that I'm not playing cards or, or playing games in my room, it was like a, a, a crazy closure for me. So until this moment I did everything that I could to make my parents proud. And then I, from this moment on, I, I, I did stuff for me.
2: So I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving forward after serving in the army. And I want to take about, talk about your first real hardcore experience in the private sector. You were, part of the founding team for a company called Argus. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about Argus and the product.
3: Yeah, so Argus is now, is the leading automotive cybersecurity company. Basically, your car or a modern car has more than 150 different computers. Like uh, it's called ECUs, which is, small computers that kind of delivers codes to the critical components of of your vehicle, they are hackable. Those computers are hackable and a lot of people can hack them. Not a lot, but hackers can hack these components and basically control the vehicle from not only from short uh, uh, range, but also from long range via Wi-Fi and, and wirelessly as well.
2: Now, when we're talking about autonomous vehicles, this is one of the main hurdles There's, of course, the regulatory and ethical debate of how should the vehicle behave, Mm -hmm. but there's also the very tangible threat of cars being hijacked from afar. Yeah. So the regulatory is one side, the the cybersecurity is the other. And once you figure these two, cars or or, or man-driven cars are out the door. So this is a company that's doing something with fundamental importance to the future of our society.
3: Yeah, because you cannot really create cars with computers, like computers on wheels, without giving them the right protection. So if you are protecting your computers, like your personal computers, why not protecting your cars, which is more like life-death situation, rather than like a financial threat when you have on your personal computer, this is really a life-threatening situation.
2: So we're talking about a a big, serious company. Sometimes when we think about startups, it can go into walls that are a little leaner, you know, SaaS or tool or whatever. And this this is a company solving a real, genuine problem. And you were part of the founding team. Yeah. First, forward a few years, Argus was sold for, what, nearly half a billion dollars. What was it like being on the founding team of a company, going through the growth stages, when you actually started, you know, hitting your stride and the company started seeing success? What was it like? I knew that Argus is going to be acquired
3: eventually because, like, very smart people, like, they were back, we were backed by, by the best people in Israel, you know, solid entrepreneurs, with vast experience in their field, and also cyber security. Come on, if you're asking about like me outside of of this situation, yes, I felt that confidence that it's going to be probably uh, the, not the big. I won't I won't say the biggest acquisition that I ever going to because I believe that what I'm doing now is going to be bigger, even bigger. But uh, yeah, I felt that it's going to be a one. Actually, I felt that it's going to be a one billion dollar company.
2: There's a few things that went against you. First is you all came from similar experiences. There was no responsible adult in a way that has been there and can say, guys, 14, 15 hour a day. Yeah. Like that's the short road to burnout. There's no HR manager to report to. It's a bunch of guys hustling their way into hopefully an exit. And the other part is that it's a product driven company. So there's like a VP R&D, a CEO and a CTO. And all of a sudden this guy says, marketing, marketing. They know they need to have marketing, but they don't know how to measure it, how to assess it, what place it needs to get around the table. So I imagine that you have to get to prove your yeah. your your seat at the table, to pre- prove your necessity, and and kind of get the buying every time, again and again and again.
3: Yeah, I do agree, and I think like for me, it was also the narrative that working hard and being busy equals being productive and and doing great stuff. And I, now I'm, I know it's, it's bullshit. So for me, just to bridge this gap between how young I was to the fact that I wanted to really shine out and, and get, get recognition. So for me, it was first of all, to compromise my sleep, to compromise, just to work harder and harder and harder to be the first in the office
2: and to be the last one. Was there a competition, uh, like a, like a hidden competition between you guys about who stays the longest Kind of like a negative spiral. I don't, think,
3: I don't think it was, but I think I got a lot of recognition from 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 people there, also from from my colleagues and from my founders. That that it's good to work hard. That this is amazing. That I can sleep only three hours a day. You know that it's like my superpower. The fact that I'm compromising my sleep and I can still be energized and I can still run with them without even for them to notice. This is amazing. They told me, I cannot do it. I have to sleep seven to eight hours a day. I don't know how you can do it. You know, I felt these dopamines of recognition and like... and and, made it and and the the, the nice thing of playing to your strengths. Yeah, they said, damn, this is the first time that I'm getting like recognition, the fact that they see that I'm working hard. So it's not about really creating impact. It's by letting other people know that I work hard when you have this imposter syndrome. Situations,
2: But I guess you guys have done something right because the company was acquired. Were you yeah. still with the company when it got acquired?
3: No, I left a year before, around a year before it was acquired.
2: What were your life like when you left? I mean, how far did, were you able to take this hustle culture yeah. before you've had enough?
3: Yeah, I remember one moment that was, before, was after my honeymoon. So after few years, the company I took like three week holiday with my wife. For our honeymoon, we went to uh, Costa Rica and, and and Panama. And after I I went back, I was in the office still <laughs> with my, on you know, old defaults of staying late in the office. So it was I think around one p one a.m. at night, and I'm still with my computer. I see like someone getting into the room. I think it was the the guard of of the of the building. And I knew him but just by name. I didn't know the the, the person exactly. And he, he kinda saw my face and he kinda kind of we had some conversation before about, about army and about the stuff that I did before that. But I just I knew him by name. And he got to the building, he saw me in the room and said, What what the hell are you doing here? So I'm working. And I was very kinda I was emotional and I wasn't in my best best shape. And he said like I know you. You are you're a smart guy, like how can you be smart and unhappy? And just hearing this sentence, how can you be? How, how are you so smart but you're still unhappy? And if you think about this sentence, this is something really amazing because you said, you said to me, like, I'm not smarter than you. You're probably smarter than me, but I'm happy. I'm happy with, with what I, I do. And you are so smart. How you can still be unhappy? That's so what I've where I understood that I need to prioritize myself, that I'm unhappy. And if I'm so smart, I need to do something about it. I need to find ways to be happy again.
2: Amazing. Let me reframe kind of what I heard you say. So for three years, you gave this company everything you had until burnout, working super, super hard. Eventually, for a honeymoon, it was a good enough excuse to break away for three weeks. Was that the longest holiday you've had?
3: Yeah, probably.
2: So you go in and three weeks holiday, you know, after a week you stop answering emails and then you come back and you pick it up for me. You left the same crazy hours, the same type of intensity, but it didn't connect. Yeah. Like you couldn't go back to it after, after being pulled off, after having the curtain lifted, going back to that intensity just didn't make any sense anymore. And that nudge from that guy was what tipped you over the edge.
3: Yeah. And, and I think this is like the first time that it's like, so, if i tell you I go without sugar for a month, it's probably going to be hard but but after you after after a month when you eat the first coffee and you put to like one spoon of sugar, you say wow this this is too sweet I cannot I cannot bear it So think about it it's the same with with my vacation. so I took a vacation after a very intense time. It was my first time after few years that I took some space to myself, and I felt like how it's going to so, so I have this alternative, like alter life of wow, it shouldn't be. I shouldn't feel so stressed, but I didn't know it's it, it was stress. So, I, I felt this, you know, kind of other life situation when I, the best, the best version of myself. I see my wife shining because I'm the best version of myself. So I see her in her best, best version, and we, we felt so good with life, with everything. So once you come back to to your work and this is your baby. Understand, like my best friends, the best company that I could have asked for, and I still feel unhappy with the situation because I feel not belong anymore.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
2: It's such a powerful force that, that's that's pulling you back into yeah. it. But I guess that when, when you've depleted all of your emotional, mental energetical resources, you just you just yeah. can't go back.
3: Yeah, so one and once you take space, you really understand what is wrong.
2: Because you, so grad- you, you, can- you gradually grow into that, that restlessness and what what was unacceptable for you coming back from the honeymoon, you go into it. It wasn't like one morning you wake up and all of a sudden your life is stressful and busy and you don't sleep. You yeah. kind of like get used to it and you put another thing and you take on another project and you become a little harder on yourself and a little rigid and da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, yeah. before you know it, three years down the line, you don't even recognize yourself looking in the mirror.
3: Yeah, this is the power of compound interest. For me, compound interest can, can work for both sides. It can work to the, to your leverage to become the best version of yourself. So imagine if you can become 1% better every day, what will be the effect after a year? And you have this crazy acquisition where you can say, whoa, I can, you know, I'm really, really... So this is the power of compound interest, but it can work the other way around when, look, okay, every day you're kind of becoming less energized, less... Less yield. You, Everything you put this. in
2: your uh, mental backpack, you know, the weight becomes greater. So if I if I took an extra load, yeah, first day it's manageable, second day it's manageable, third day is hard, fourth day it's impossible, and so on and so forth, because of course you have less resource and less energy to deal with. And and you've taken this idea of of life optimization, of, of compound interest, and you said, Okay, I know what it looks like in a startup environment when I'm part of the founding team. Then you walk free from that and you rebooted your career and your life as a as a one man show you took your passion for productivity for democratizing tools and you replaced the com- company environment with a community environment yeah you started doing consulting right you started working with executives on the on the time management skills and access to tools
3: yeah so first of all everyone thought that I'm crazy how can you leave a company that you know for sure they are going to be to be acquired or you, you you will not be a part of the exit. So the first reaction for from everyone, especially like my my like the first cycle, like my family and my friends, like what the hell are you doing? Quitting? Yeah, I still felt great about it. Like I felt that the first time that I'm prioritizing myself after three or four years, maybe maybe more than that, you know. And for me, the first thing to do is to give back. I don't know why, like I felt that I want to help other. Entrepreneurs win, and uh, so they will not make the same mistakes that I did. So I joined like a global accelerator called Mass Challenge. And also, it was for, for me, I, I said to myself, I'm not ready to be the CEO yet. I need to learn from the best, I can be the CEOs. So I'm going to join, you know, a lot of journeys to get inspired from leaders and to get inspired from ideas so I can make
2: my own. Ideas. It makes total sense to me because after such a long while of, of, of emptying your cup, in a way, giving all your resources and time and energy, you needed to, you needed to fill it back up. So, of course, you will go to a place that energizes you, where you meet ideas, where you get to recharge. But what I think people don't understand is how hard it is to pull away from a company who's going places. Some people spend their entire career in the startup ecosystem looking for that vehicle to an exit. And you were there, you were on it. The company was already at a this velocity where people knew it's going places, the question of how big would be the payoff. And you pulled yourself away from that and saying, I'm putting Tommy front and center because I just can't cope with that type of insanity anymore.
3: Yeah. I always waited for, I I wanted to provide excuses for myself. Why not to open the company now? Why why not to be the leader of, of, of a company now? So the first one was mass challenge. I told myself, okay, I need to learn how to be a CEO. I need to kind of collect a lot of ideas. The first, the second thing was I need to learn how to, how to raise money. Maybe I'll go to work at a
2: VC for two years. Such a funny notion. Yeah. Well, when, when do you know enough to start? Can you well, ever get to a point where you know enough to start? Well, now I know
3: to tell you that the best way to learn how to open a company, how to be good at, is to open a freaking company. You know, it's not to go and work at a VC for two years. It's not. Maybe, maybe you can, you know, from from this work, maybe you can get some network and maybe you can can learn some skills. But it's not very beneficial. You know, it's not the easy. not Not only the easiest. It's not the the shortest way to learn how to build a company. The only way to really know how to build a company is to build a company. There are no shortcuts in this. You know, and this is what I understood. I understood damn I'm, i cannot i don't need to provide any excuses. I need to just build a company but i I didn't have any idea, so what I did, I just said no to everything. I was really really lucky to have my first baby uh, during this time, and I told my wife i'm I'm just going to take paternity leave during this time I got the money from the the from the m a uh deal from from Argus she said, perfect, I'm privileged enough to take maternity leave, to be with my wife and son, which is a great time to take some space to think about stuff, to reflect, to really understand what you want to do. But I didn't know what, I, what the hell I'm good at. You know, I had some skills, especially marketing skills. And I started to, again, this center of of of, of gravity that you you feel that like you're on Mars and suddenly someone is like taking you and said, come be my CMO. And I'm saying, no. And then he said, work a day a week and get the same salary. And then I saying yeah, I, I want to do it. And then someone else, let's do the same. And I'm like, after three months, I've, I found myself with four different companies, CMO on demand, working one day, one day, one day, Doing a lot of money just by giving them advices, and it's it suddenly like it felt so right. It felt like wow, I cannot believe people are paying just to pain, uh, pain not to my not for my time, but for my mind, and I, it felt really, really good. But then after like three months, so I was after even after less than that, I I started to feel this. No, that I have a lot of time. I have this, a lot of space and I want to do something. So I opened this community of just giving people the tools and access to tools and digital hacks and, and, and superpowers that they need in order to become superhuman and smarter and, 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 and faster at what they do. I remember this community, I just opened it for, for good friends. So we had this kind of a uh, round, uh, round table of, of friends where we sat and then I plugged my computer to a, sc- to a screen and I just showed them some you know, workflows and what tools that I'm using for, to increase my open rate, in my newsletters and what tools I'm using on my email, my personal email, and how do I manage my time and how do I play my week, da-da-da-da-da. And then I, I looked at their eyes and like they opened up and I this. This reaction was really weird for me because I'm just showing my computer. How can I get this reaction of showing my computer? And understood that I'm really solving a lot of problems when I do that. And how people are not very accessible; like they don't have a lot of access to these kind of tools. What seems obvious to me, not very obvious to other people. So I start. I I created this Facebook uh, group. It, it grew really like the growth was amazing. After two days, we had like one thousand people and 20,000 people, and now it's like 30,000 people became one of the biggest communities in the world. And from this moment, when it started to grow, I was like CMO on demand for a few companies. And one company said, you know, we, the CEO, just joined the community, joined Tools, and said, No, a lot of tools that you are providing there, and the articles, I read one of the articles, and said, why not doing like a workshop to the to the company. I will pay you even more. I said, okay, I love money. I love doing stuff that I that I, I already love. do. Yeah. And so I created this workshop for this company. And basically I, I gave them this workshop and everyone was really thrilled. And I felt that the impact that I that I created when I did this workshop is even more than the impact that I created as a CMO. So I said, okay, this is interesting. This is something that I don't know how to frame. I don't know if people are willing to pay companies are willing to pay for it, but I just did like a one page of, I called it like chief of time. And I took the workshop that I did for one company that, that was my, um, one, one client that I did like a CM on demand. I built this workshop and suddenly a few companies accepted this, uh, opportunity. So it was like instead of, Doing CMO on demand and continuing with 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 what I do with marketing, I suddenly started to fire the clients on my CMO side and moving everything to doing combination between, you know, implementing tools to time management, something that I even did I, I didn't know like what what was the name of it. So then I thought I really kind of understood the, the power of, of productizing yourself?
2: Basically, what you brought into, into the world of communities and into these companies is something that, that wasn't really in existence and that you taught them how to work. You didn't tell them what yeah. to do. You taught them how to work. And it's such a, it's such a nuanced difference because, because of your own shortcomings, quote-unquote, you had to develop all these hacks yeah. and find all these ways of doing things and, and, and catching up. And when people saw you doing work like that, they're like, oh my God, I should be doing that. I remember the feeling in the community in the first days is that every time this guy writes something, it's worth money.
3: I started to feel that I have something that I have to productize super tools and myself when people started to send me sentences like you changed my life or after uh, doing a workshop with someone one-on-one with the CEO, he told me you saved my marriage. Stuff that I... I, I just, I looked at him like, what? You know, it's like, no way. No way that showing you how to do emails better or how to save two
2: hours. But yes, because time is our most limited resource. So what happened was that you were actually doing an informal user research yeah. for over two years. And when you had enough of, of knowledge, you said, okay, I need to do something with that. And you started Supertools, the company that then became Magica. Yeah. Now, at that point in time, you were living, I would say, your best life, right? You were a yeah. master of your domain, a leading influencer in that space worldwide. You were already working with C-suite executives on their companies, so you were you were in all the right rooms knowing all the right people. And excuse me for getting personal, but you were making a shit ton of money, and you were also the owner of your time. You did what you wanted when you wanted. Yeah, Your wife got her husband and partner, you got to be the father of your kid and life just got too good and you decided, no, 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 no. (laughs) I want to feel the pain again. I want to start my own company.
3: Yeah, I think it was always the the end goal. I feel that I know better how to uh, prioritize it and to make also not only myself and also also the founders and, and everyone that is part of this company. I feel that it's a part of my responsibility to create something that will impact many people, not only the people of the community, because it's, it's really limited in a way, you know, impacting 25,000 people and hearing the same problems that they have and trying to think why, why not like, why Microsoft doesn't do something to solve it? Why Google doesn't do something to solve it? And you say, and you know why because they're providing free products to people and they're trying to hit the mainstream with their products so think about your calendar for example so your calendar is very limited it's very limited because you can record uh meetings or events but it's not it will not tell you how to optimize your time it will not make you more productive it will not make you a better organizer or a founder so for me it was something that I couldn't bear the fact that this product doesn't exist. Okay. It's not like I said to myself, okay, we will open super tools and then I'm going to use it and I'm going to use the people there. So there will be the product and I will make the product uh, and, and going to run the world. It's not like that. It's just I felt that I'm hearing the same problems for me. Not to solve it is this is something that I, I couldn't stand. So the options were or to do like a workshop. And to try to sell it to a lot of people, which is very limited.
2: Go back to trading your your time for money. Exactly. Or to
3: use the best practices that I learned during these three to four four years and to take this knowledge to put it in the software that will impact, that will change tens of billions of tens of millions of lives. For me, this was
2: a better Uh, option. a, A better path, I understand it. But also I wanna I wanna challenge that because when you left Argus, you were severely burnt out. You weren't healthy. You weren't happy. You yeah. weren't getting the best return on your time. And those three, four years passed by. Yeah. Now you have more to lose because you know there's, there's less time. You're a father. You're already living a pretty good life. Weren't you traumatized by that experience to the point where you had to think twice about starting a yeah. company?
3: Well, I feel that I... I kinda became addicted to being outside of your comfort zone in a way. I kind of feel weird if I'm in my comfort zone for more than like a year because I feel that I'm doing something wrong if i'm not if I don't feel this it's not it's not about stress because stress can be excitement as well. We know it we know it's the same uh kind of chemicals, but it's really it's out in i know. Better how to navigate the stuff that I'm feeling and how to contain it and how to deal with it when I was young, I didn't know, so the end result was me the 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 worst version of myself.
2: Were you ever in a conversation with your wife about going back into the startup mayhem was she scared about losing her her partner again?
3: Well, I feel that she always feels in a way that i'm I'm busy, even if I'm not busy even when I took like like paternity leave I was busy building something because oh this is us. This is what we know. No, this is how we we, we we act in life, I feel that even if I'm on vacation, I need to write something, I need to create something. If I'm not creating I feel that I'm dying. So in a way, I know that she got used to it. She it's, there's no conversation, like no conversation were held or was L during this time, but I feel that the, she really understand that I don't have any alternative. She understands it's going to be a different journey. You know, she understand that my, like the entry point is different, that, that now I'm building something that I'm really passionate about, that, you know, this is my love story to technology in a way. When, when I was in August, a part of the decisions that I had to make she was a huge part of it because I felt that I'm not only hurting myself, I'm also hurting my surroundings in, in a way. And I asked myself, like, how do I want to raise my kid? Like, I, I want to raise him as, uh, as you know, a lonely, lonely person, as an unhealthy
2: person, as an unhappy person. Who's the role model he's going to see yeah. when, he's, uh, when he's walking around? We're nearly at present day, Tommy. You've been doing Superdules for a little over two years now. And then it's time to build a company around it. You've yeah. reached. There's enough knowledge there that you can distill it and bring something that the world had never seen before. Talk to us about the decision about starting a company rather than a community.
3: So, when you start a company, you have two options: either you sell
2: services or you sell products.
3: Okay. So, services for me during the the the, the past two years, I felt that I that I'm selling my time in a way and not my mind because when you sell services, you need to be present. And you need to train people. And so basically the, they the acquiring or they, they, they pay you for your time. And I felt that I felt like not very comfor- comfortable with this situation. And I know that a lot of services companies, you know, they can do great stuff, but I know that we are sitting on something really, really meaningful for people. Like the fact that technology is more advanced, and the fact that we need our time more than ever, we need to prioritize my time on more than ever. And after getting a lot of a lot of like feedback from the community, that there are no tools in the time management field that are so impactful and 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 so life changing. There are no tools that you can you can really put in yourself. And I think that one sentence really really kind of came back to me when I decided that a product company is the right thing. So one sentence said that we are spending and wasting a lot of time doing stuff and not a lot of time thinking of what we should be doing. Okay, Think about it for a second.
2: It's kind of like that famous sentence that if I had uh, 10 hours to chop down a tree, I would spend Nine hours sharpening DX. Yeah.
3: And think about it. Let's take one of the most um, essential tools that you have on your, your stack. Any clues?
2: It goes, you know it's that.
3: either email, calendar, or to-do list. So, yeah, a calendar. A lot of innovations happening right now are around email with hey.com and superhuman. But let, 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 let's take a calendar, for example. So let's take this sentence and see what 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 the feedback we got so we're spending too much doing stuff during the week we're getting a lot of meetings from people a lot of in, calendar invitations so people are stealing stealing our time every day we 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 are, we are not noticing even like the fact that our colleagues have you know access to our calendar so they can really steal your time they can put an invite on your calendar and no one will tell you if this meeting is essential, if the time for this meeting is the right time and how you can really leverage this meeting, how you can really spend your time more effectively during this meeting. So, and the problem is because the tool is very limited. Like the tool allows other people to steal your time.
2: I'll tell you what the sentence I hate it most. But I hate it when I, I, I see an email saying, hey, I saw an hour in your calendar. Um, I booked some time for coffee. I hope that's okay.
3: Email. <laughs> if you're lucky, you, you get this
2: email. I absolutely <laughs> hate it. Or when you go back and you refresh your calendar and you see a meeting that was... Who, who put that meeting in there? And there's no context and there's no details. And you like you just see a bunch of people yeah. invited with some vague headline. Like, what are you doing? That day was supposed to be the day where I don't know, I do the presentation. I write the report. I Like... Yeah.
3: Oh... Uh, and there are so many examples. The fact that we are spending so much time, like just reacting to my, to our calendar, to our email, to everything. And we don't spend any time thinking if this, if, if we should even do it and if we should do this meeting for 60 minutes or 25 minutes or so. This is where you can really leverage technology because you can build a tool that the fundamental of this tool is to help you become better is the fundamental uh, thinking around this tool is to be your brain of how you can optimize your time, or how you can really be respectful for your time and for others' people time. If you think about it, a lot of tools that we we know today that we use in our work, tools that are being leveraged by managers, by the company itself, like Google Analytics, okay? Mixpanel and other tools that you can get analytics of how the business is going, how the website is going. But we have non-tools to see how we doing at work, how we can be better, how we can optimize our time. We have no tools. And and more than that, we have a lot of collaboration tools who are making the opposite. You know, they are creating more more noise. They're creating more more information overload in your workday. So basically, you don't know the simple thing that you should know. What exactly am I doing today? What kind of task? I should be doing in order to create the most impact for my growth and for my company's growth? So you don't know these kind of questions because many of the tools that people are buying for you in the company, tools for teams and tools
2: for companies and tools for that are made for companies. So if I try and encapsulate the problem, we're spread too thinly across too many tools. Some of them have been purchased for us. Some of them have been purchased to monitor or control us. And now let's get to the part of this solution. When I met you, I, uh, I just came back to Israel from, uh, from a tour of duty in the UK. You started talking to me about that vision, and something you said that resonated with me was, listen, when a company raises a million dollars, it doesn't just give each one of its employees $50,000 and says, you manage that money the, the, that money the way you see fit. No, there is a central decision-making process that allocates that money in order to achieve the company's goals. So why don't we do the same with time? Mm-hmm. Can we create a tool that helps the individual on the, on the individual level manage their time better, but also create compound interest for the company as a whole by policy, by smart scheduling, by all sorts of tools? And this yeah. is what kind of got me hooked into, into your vision.
3: And I will give you two uh, real world examples. So I, I, I was the chief of time for one company called Walkies. Great company, great CEO, and what I did during the time, this time, I I plugged into his work tools like G Suite, Google Calendar, and Gmail, and I I aggregated a lot of information from all the employees. Like we're talking about 50, 60 employees, and I gave him a report as as a, as his chief of time. I gave him like I I'm a data driven person, so I love giving like yourself, and I like giving reports. And so so people can be convinced by the numbers. So the report that I gave him, I said, look at this week. Okay, so 73 from all all the employees in this company are sending calendar invites. The the default time of these calendar invites are 60 minutes. Okay. We know as product productivity experts, I know that 60 minutes is a very bad default. Maybe it's the default of the tool of Google Calendar, but it's a very bad default for any any meeting because no one tells us that 60 minutes is the the time that we should meet. So I just said to him, I just built a script that transforms all the meetings that you have in your calendar that people are put in the calendar and suggest that instead of 60 minutes, it's going to be 50 minutes. And if a meeting is 30 minutes, it's going to be 25 minutes. And we did two things. First, we created 11% more time for salespeople to sell stuff and to be focused on their main business. Also, we reduces fatigue in the company because people add this break, this five minute break, 10 minute break before, after each meeting. So we only, we not only increase the time that they have during the day, we also increase their happiness. We increase the wellness and a lot so such
2: a small tweak that challenges the 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 default of a certain tool creates a pretty substantial effect.
3: Yeah, and with other company we did a no a no Tuesday meeting. Basically, we decided because we saw a lot of like they have they had so many so much meetings and zero deep work time, and people need work, deep work time. They need a space to just. Think and create.
2: You don't get paid to attend meetings. You get paid to do stuff. Yeah. So
3: if people are jumping from one meeting to another, they're just going to spend. Then they they're going to compromise their sleep for sure. So you get a less effective employees, okay, because they don't sleep well. So they're going to burn out in a few months or years. But it's not only that they are. They don't have any deep work, which they can use their most effective hours, according to your circadian clock, they can use this time in order to really create meaningful work. But because everyone are recording these meetings on your calendar, why not using your calendar as like an intelligence machine, which can collect data and give you recommendations or maybe even enforce you, create this enforcement of rules and and. And then, and then using like mental models in order for the company to create this space for employees. For example, if you want on your calendar, let's say the company decided that on Tuesday, we're not having any Zoom meetings or physical meetings. You can create, you can use your calendars to, in- your calendar to enforce it. But unluckily, traditional calendars are not allowing you to do it. So we are creating the future of calendars for work, for, the future of, of, of teams. And we believe that by thinking as a KPI, by thinking about your time, of how you're going to optimize your time, how you're going to respect other, other people's time, we can create a better product than what you have now. So
2: you've been to the dark side of working in a startup, burnt out, overworked. Fast forward a few years, you're the CEO of a startup now. What yeah. scares you about going back into the, into the arena?
3: Have you seen The Last Dance? With Jordan, Michael Jordan. So there is a sentence there that I really, really like, and he talked about the fact that about talents and how talents like him can win games, but teams win champions in a way. And I feel the same. That like, I feel that every day I won my own game when after after match challenge, after kind of productizing myself, I won my own games every day one game one game but in order to win um, the championships and to build a really meaningful company I need to leverage and I need to create a team which is really really hard for me because think about it during the past three years I used to see a challenge and to use a lot of things that I know in order to tackle this challenge I'm not used to give the team the power to solve it. And and I feel that when you're going through this process of from a freelancer, a maker to a CEO, you can you need to really trust a team and you need to really have this ability to create trust and have this ability to say to yourself, you are not the smartest smartest person in the room. The people that you hired or the people that are working with you or people that are no, your founders, that they are smarter in some aspects than you and you need to just release and give them the opportunity to, to build and not
2: only you. In a way, your journey was about regaining control over your life, over your output. And now you're at a point where you have all of the control, but you have to start giving it back to the people and, and lose control again. Yes. This time you're doing it from the other side of the table it's bound to be an exciting adventure on a personal level.
3: Well, I think that we, we, we really covered a lot, of, a lot of elements, but I feel that also something that is important for me to say that maybe in the, in, the, in the past two years, I was like a lonely wolf in a way, but I also got a lot of, by building this community, I got so much support from people. And it was a part like, I cannot think about an idea without speaking with someone about this idea. So even if I during this time I worked alone, I still I still got to give credit to many people that was a part of this journey of Supertools as a community, and now of course to the to the people that are part of the company. This year during my reflection, I understood that I'm I'm not a typical CEO, and in a way, if you if you kind of ask CEOs of what they work, what they do, what they need to do daily, so this is not. Things that I like doing. Going back to our conversations of why it was so important for me that you you will be a part of, of of Super Tours or Magical, the company like the the product is that like my understanding that I'm very limited to take this company to the next level. I feel that CEOs really should, you know, you should not do stuff that you don't really like. You should really keep the time that you are doing stuff. Let's say eighty percent of doing stuff that is a part of your zone of genius and try to really leverage other people to think and to hire people that like to do the stuff that you do, don't like doing. I think this is a huge part of building a company.
2: Tommy, with that, I would like to conclude. My wish for you is that you get to build the company you want the way you want it, that the world rewards you for who you are and what you've become. And with that, we're signing off. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.